All right, John chapter 7, I'll be reading from verse 25 to verse 53. John chapter 7. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man, whence he is. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple, as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man's lay hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, Will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews amongst themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go under the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus said unto them, He that came to Je- Nicodemus said unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we would ask now that you would compass about us that we might think exclusively on thee and thy word. Put the thoughts and cares and concerns of this world behind us, if for but an hour, Lord, that we might see Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to speak this morning about a, a one major thing. The title of this morning's sermon is, From Whence is Jesus? From Whence is Jesus? 
Um, there's going to be an issue that's set before us here and that we can appreciate all of the confusion that these people suffer from. In our hymn this morning, uh, hymn number 50, Ferris, Lord Jesus, there was a line that spake of him, as does the scriptures, Son of God, Son of Man. And that's what's going to be the issue when we uh, speak about the Lord this morning. Um, so the main point that I want us to appreciate is that Jesus Christ is from God and that he is fully God and fully man. And that is going to cause a problem with him. So you recall from verse 12 of last week, and I'll read that. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he is a good man. Others say, nay, but he deceiveth the people. And then in verse 13, howbeit no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So last week we talked about um, this verse in the context of fearing man. This week, I want to talk about those verses in the context of confusion and spiritual blindness. Confusion respecting who Jesus is, and I use that intentionally, not who he was, but who he is, and from whence he came, because those truths are linked directly one to another, who he is and from whence he came. Now, in the context of spiritual blindness, and that's why I had our deacon read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll read verse 14 from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So what a Christian babe might understand and appreciate, having by grace received the Holy Ghost, the natural or carnal man or world cannot, no matter what the level of intellectual study and achievement is. It doesn't matter how often they read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many years they go to church, how much time they spent in seminary. They cannot, by intellectual assent, understand the spiritual truths of the Bible. That's what God says. And that has been my experience looking at people in the church and people out in the world. I'm speaking from personal experience. My father went to parochial school his entire life, including going to seminary for a period of time after he graduated from college. I'm speaking of the Catholic Church, and he never understood who Christ was. He never understood the spiritual truths and grace that is set before um, the eyes of the Lord's people all throughout the Scripture. Years ago, I was in a church, and there were a number of young men that were taking a philosophical approach to the Bible. And while teaching a lesson, I said, there are no intellectual Christians in heaven. And I think their heads all exploded. And I'm telling you, they came after me with a, with a veracity that surprised even myself. They didn't understand what I was trying to say. I was trying to say that you cannot, by intellectual assent, gain glory of heaven. It can only be revealed to you by the grace of God as he applies the truths to your hearts. I've said this a thousand times. The gap between the head and the heart is as wide as eternity and deep as hell. You cannot understand it absent the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 makes that clear as a bell. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, that's not to say that one who is a Christian, I'm going to put that word first, Christian, cannot be intellectual. Of course that's true. But you cannot, by your intellect, understand these truths, only by the grace of God. So the Christian babe can understand these things, while the intellectual giant cannot understand these things. 
Now, in John chapter 7, we see that there are four different groups of people here, and none of these groups know from whence he, Jesus, came, and none of them know who he is. We have here four different groups of people. We have the Jews, in verse 1, we read that they sought to kill him. And we can appreciate that they represent the uh, religious leadership because we see that they are, in verse 33, it says, the Jews among themselves. And this, this would represent the officers that were sent by the scribes and the Pharisees, by the chief priests and the Pharisees. So we have the Jews in the Gospel of John. They generally represent the um, religious leadership. And we can see that they are trying to kill him. Then the second group we have are Jesus' brothers, who the Scripture says that they are of the world. The Lord sets that before us. Verse 5 tells us that they are unbelievers. I'm not saying they represent the world. I'm saying that they are of the world. That's what the Lord says. The world cannot hate you. You know, me it hates because the world loves its own and the world hates me. So he makes a distinction between himself and his brothers um, around verses 4 and 5. In verse 5, it tells us that they are unbelievers. Then we have, quote, the people. And they say in verse 20 that Jesus has a devil. And now we have the last group here, group, the fourth group. We have those that are of Jerusalem. And in verse 25, they confirm that others seek to, uh, to kill Jesus, and they themselves are divided and don't know what to do with Christ himself here. Now, none of these groups get it right. They are all antagonistic to Jesus. None of these groups understand who Jesus is because they don't understand from whence he is which is the issue that is set before us here in the Gospel of John, and particularly um, the seventh chapter. Now, as I said, from verse 25, it is evident that those of Jerusalem know that the leadership, again referred to the Jews here in verse 15, seek to kill him. From whence we can infer that there has been a conversation swirling about here in Jerusalem respecting who Jesus is, a conversation that goes back at least until the last feast when the Lord was there. And the conversation continues up until the present time, as indeed do all conversations about whether, because our Lord is omnipotent and he is omnipresence. All conversations take place in the presence of God. And so they are having a conversation up there around verse 26 and 27 about who he is, where he's from, and what they know about him. And he's teaching in the temple, and they don't appreciate that he knows what they're talking about. But I want us to appreciate that all of our thoughts and intents of our heart are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Lord knows everything that we are thinking, and all of our conversations are open and before him, because he is omnipotent and omnipresence. He knows behind whatever we think and say, even all of the issues of our murmuring, even when we don't understand what we are thinking and saying. And we can appreciate the fact that he knows these things because in verse 28 and 29, in the middle of him teaching in the temple, he interrupts himself and he cries in verse 28, ye both know me and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not, but I know him for I am from him and he hath sent me. This, as I said, is in response to their comments about what the rulers think about Jesus, whether or not they know him to be the Christ, up in verse 26. Then in verse 27, they say, quote, We know this man, whence he is, that is to say, the man Jesus. But of a truth respecting Christ, no man knoweth where he is from. That would be except the God-man, Christ Jesus. 
and to whomsoever he would reveal him to via the Holy Ghost. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, we can appreciate this, for the Lord says in Matthew eleven twenty seven, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So only those can know, that uh, only people can only know the Father through the Son and to whom the Son will reveal himself. And to know the Father is to know the Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. And that's the truth that the Lord sets before us there in Matthew chapter 11 and other places in the Bible. And so in verse 28 here, Jesus tells them that they do not know the one that sent him, which we know from verses 16 and 17 that it is God. It is God who has sent him, and he's telling them they don't know who it is that sent him. So logically, we can conclude that they do not know God, the one who sent Jesus, and they do not know Jesus as the Son of God. And what follows then are a series of statements that do nothing but muddy the waters about this whole affair, about who Jesus Christ is, about who Jesus Christ is. In verse 26 and 28, we read, But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? So here they are thinking out loud again for our benefit, asking the question, is Jesus truly the Christ? The first part of verse 27, they say, Howbeit we know this man, this man, whence he is. In other words, we know where Jesus is from. We know that he's from Galilee. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, the people know that Jesus is from Galilee. They say, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? In uh, the second half of verse 27, verse uh, section B, so this man, in other words, so this man, Jesus, we know, we know where he is from. He's here right now. We know where he's from and we can appreciate who he is as a man. But then they say in the second half of that verse, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. No one knows where he, Christ, is from. And they use the word cometh, which in the Greek has to do with the, um, the uh, whether it be present tense or future tense, but this has no tense. It's, in a, it's, it's not set in any particular time. It's something that is continuous and should be understood in that light. So what they are saying here, what we can appreciate from this language is do, not only do they not know from whence he is, they know not when he will come either. They haven't worked any of this out, although the scriptures testify of both. The scriptures testify when he's coming, and they testify where he's going to come from, and they testify how he's going to manifest himself. It is all in the scripture here. So then we read in the next verse an affirmation of part of what they said. The Lord's going to affirm part of what they say. Verse 28, then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. Now, for those of us that have been regenerated, having received the Holy Ghost, which we read in verse 39 has not yet been given to these people, we know from whence Jesus is, and for those having received the Holy Ghost, we know who 
Christ is. We know from whence Jesus is, and we also know from whence Christ is. Does that make sense to you? I'm using the term Christ here, indicative of his divinity, and I'm using the name Jesus in terms of his humanity. Um, We do know this by the grace of God, that Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. But they don't understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, we read, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Well, clearly from the context of what I'm sharing with you here, to declare that Jesus is the Lord is to declare his divinity. And nobody can know that absent the grace of God. We know that in, um, that might be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, where it says that, For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath commanded, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot know that Jesus is God Almighty unless God, by his grace, has shined that truth into your heart. Again, not your head, but into your heart. That is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's an appreciation and a statement and something that can only be understood, who he is, by the grace of God. And that happens to us when the Lord um, baptizes us with the Holy Ghost. So no one can understand that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Son of God, unless they are born again. Absent the Holy Ghost, no man can understand that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. That's Revelation 1.8. Nobody can understand the eternality of Christ absent the Holy Ghost. So when Jesus says, you both know me and you know whence I am, what he's saying is, yes, you do know me after the flesh. You do know me after the flesh, that he's Joseph the carpenter's son, and I'm going to insert in there the adoptive son they don't agree with, because later they're going to accuse his mother of fornication in the Gospel of John. But we know, by grace of God, that he's the adoptive son of Joseph. But as far as they're concerned, they know that he's uh, Joseph the carpenter's son. They know that his mother is Mary. I read that to you from Matthew, and that his brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. They know that he's from Galilee. Those things they do know, as they might know about other men. And I think that is where much of Christianity is today. They know Jesus after the flesh, but not according to the Spirit. And you could make all sorts of principled statements, take principled stances based on an appreciation of Christ Jesus as only a man and as the founder of an outward Christian religion. And many people have done that, but they don't have him in their heart and they don't understand the spiritual nature of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, we read, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What the Lord is sharing with us here is, as it was true for the disciples, your relationship with Christ Jesus started in the flesh. That's how you understood him initially. 
while they were his contemporaries, walking with him as he went forth in Israel. That's how they knew him. They knew him after the flesh. They were taught by him. They witnessed his miracles. And you and I knew him as a historical figure. We didn't walk with him. We weren't there when he lived, but we knew him as a historical figure. And we read about the things that he did, and we understood it and appreciated it in a historical context. <coughs> so it's important for us to believe, and it's important for us to appreciate that believing in the historicity of Jesus, as you might believe in the historicity of any other figure, like President Lincoln, means nothing spiritually. Believing in the historicity of Jesus means nothing spiritually. Knowing Jesus after the flesh means nothing spiritually. Now we covered that with respect to Jesus's brothers a couple of weeks ago. Who might have known Jesus after the flesh, with the exception of perhaps his mother, than Jesus's brethren? And yet we read here in verse 5 that they don't believe on him. Knowing him after the flesh did not profit them. That's why we uh, talked about that. We read from uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 13, a verse that is often left out in, when people read. In verse 13, when it speaks about being born again, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There was no familial relationship that profited anybody with respect to Christ. And there's no profit in knowing him after the flesh, with the exception of that you can put the spiritual truths in context. Um, that will save a person here. So, again, who would know Jesus better after the flesh than his brothers? And it didn't uh, profit them. We can appreciate and should understand that the disciple Judas knew Jesus after the flesh and only after the flesh when he betrayed him and then he perished in his sins. So knowing him after the flesh did not profit him at all. Those whom the Lord has regenerated, as we read about there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, those who are a new creature in Christ know Jesus no more after the flesh, but after the spirit. We are partakers now of the divine nature. We are spiritually united with Christ. He is in us, and we are in him, and we have the most intimate of relationships with him. We know who he is, and therefore we know from whence he is, that he is from the Father. Now, how many times has Jesus told us from whence he is, that he is from the Father, and that the Father sent him? How many times has he told us that? I've told us in the past that we should appreciate how the Gospel of John sets before us the divinity of Jesus as none of the other Gospels do. Only once in the Gospel of Matthew are we told that he was of the Father, that he was sent. Only once in the Gospel of Mark, three times in the Gospel of Luke, however, Five times alone in this chapter 7, we are told that he is sent by the Father. Thirty-three times altogether in the Gospel of John, we are told that Jesus was sent by the Father. So again, five times here in this chapter alone, he tells them that he has been sent by the Father. So what we can see from our narrative, we can see that the various groups that are set before us, they do not understand what can only be understood by those that have the mind of Christ. And so the people continue to speculate about Jesus, wrongly dividing the God-given word of truth. They wrongly divide the word of truth. You know that it, we are admonished to rightly divide the word of truth. Well, they are wrongly dividing the word of truth. In verse 40, we read that many of the people said, 
of a truth, this is the prophet. Well, that's a true statement, but they don't understand what that really means. Now, recall back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is set before us. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, it speaks of the humanity of the prophet. It says there, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, meaning like unto Moses, who is a man. That's Deuteronomy 18, 18. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So Jesus is indeed a man. He's a prophet like Moses. And God put his words in his mouth, which we talked about last week. In verse 16, we read that Jesus taught his father's doctrine. He didn't teach his own doctrine. He taught his father's doctrine. We read from John 8, 28 last week, where Jesus spoke the things his father taught him. He says that very clearly. So Jesus is that prophet, and they are right about that. Then we read in Deuteronomy 18, same chapter, verse 15 now, that which speaks of his divinity. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. So these verses clearly speak of the duality of the prophet's nature that he would be raised up of thy brethren, of Israel's brethren, and that he is like unto me, God. So he is of their brethren. He is of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David, which they acknowledge in verse 42. And he is like God, which creates a cognitive disconnect for them, a place they simply can't go spiritually. In verse 41, others say, this is the Christ. Well, that is true. Shall Christ come out of Galilee? They ask that question. Well, the answer is yes. He will come out of Galilee. After he is born in Bethlehem, goes down to and is called out of Egypt, then he'll go into Galilee, out of which he will then come. In verse 42, Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Well, yes, that is true too. Verse 43, So there was a division among the people because of him. They are unable to rightly divide the word of truth and appreciate how all of these statements can be true of the same person, Jesus Christ. They can't understand how they can all be true. And we know that's a problem all throughout Scripture with respect to how Jesus can come as king and yet be riding down on the colt the foal of an ass, how he can conquer and yet go to the cross. They can't reconcile all of those things because they don't appreciate the duality of who he is and what he's actually going to accomplish, that he's not here to overthrow the Babylonians or any particular earthly kingdom, but he came to overcome sin and death because that is the enemy of man. So this issue is nothing new in terms of how they cannot reconcile the different um, scriptures, all of which speak of the same person, uh, Jesus Christ. And so the leadership here, we see, they wishing to sweep the whole thing under the rug as though Deuteronomy chapter 18 doesn't apply to Jesus. They then say in verse 52, search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Well, this statement is both wrong and it is irrelevant. Firstly, it's wrong because the prophet Jonah came out of Galilee, so a prophet did arise out of Galilee, and that was Jonah. Which prophet the Lord points to and says that he will give them the sign of Jonah? As Jonas was in the whale of the belly three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man. 
be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The second reason this um, is irrelevant, or I should say the second thing that is true about this statement in terms of it being irrelevant, is that Deuteronomy 18 gives no geographic conditions respecting its fulfillment. It doesn't say geographically from where the prophet will come, and yet they are isogeting, they are inserting that into it as though it, there was an inference that the prophet would come from someplace in particular. It doesn't say that. So where does the prophet come from? In the context of what is set before us here, Jesus Christ, the prophet who is like unto Moses and God, came from the earth and heaven. He was made of a woman upon which came the Holy Ghost from heaven by whom the woman conceived. He is both man and God. He is both from the earth and he is from heaven. Scriptures are both true. And none of these people know what to make of him. They are divided in their ignorance. Again, seven times in this section does Jesus tell him them that he was sent by the Father. And unable to reconcile these truths, we read in verse 44 that some would have taken him. Some would have taken him. And for what purpose? Obviously to kill him. It's the third time in this chapter we read that they would have taken him, but they couldn't. It's in verse 30, verse 32, and verse 44. And why can they not take him? Because his hour was not yet come. We read about that three times also. That's verse 6, 8, and 30. That his hour was not yet come. And I want to share this with us because consistent with who Jesus is, we should appreciate that no matter how chaotic things may appear from man's perspective, Jesus is very much in control of all things now as he was then, including the hearts of men. In Proverbs 19.21, in Proverbs 19.21 we read, There are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So though they thought they might kill Jesus, he restrains their hearts sufficiently to prohibit it, and he directs their steps elsewhere, which he will continue to do until his hour has come, and he is sold for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed with a kiss, all according to scriptures. And I'm going to step away from my notes here for a minute to, for, for something for us to appreciate. I think we can all appreciate in the last several years that the Lord very much seems to be removing his hand of grace from this country. We see our society is breaking down on many levels. We see that crime is in an increase. We see that police are being defunded. And the result of that, of course, is always going to be that crime is going to increase. Where a sentence is not speedily executed, Scripture says, uh, people are emboldened to do evil. So we see the truths in Scripture taking place here. We should understand that not only that which is true here when we read the Gospels, it is true today for all people, and it is true for Christians in, in general, that it is Christ who restrains sin in all men. If you push him out the door, his restraining hand in sin um, will be no more. And we're going to see chaos, mayhem, murder, and violence everywhere. And we're beginning to see that in this country because for many, many years, this country has pushed him out the door. So I just wanted to share that with us. We're seeing here, we're seeing the Lord restrain sin in men so they cannot take him until his hour comes. In like manner, people are pushing him out the door here, 
and uh, he who is the restraining hand, we're going to see the results of that, and we are seeing the results of that, and it's grievous to look upon. So, again, everything is going to go according to scriptures, uh, back in the context of John chapter 7 here, um, and so we see that when his hour comes, according to the scriptures, he who is the truth wrote that he will finish the works of his father that sent him to finish. He will lay down his life on the cross for the sins of his people. And the people whom he lays down his life for are the same people who by the grace of God know from whence he is. He has never for any point in time in history, uh, however brief that may be, not been in complete control and authority over all things. We know that in Colossians, it says that by him all things consist. All principalities and powers were ordained by him. He has the scope of every man's authority uh, limited uh, to a certain degree, meaning that they have authority that they can exercise over their particular area that God has given them authority over. The atoms, he controls everything. The electrons, the protons, the neutrons. By him, everything consists. He is always in control of everything. And he's not going to the cross one second before it is ordained for him to go there. And when he goes there, he will lay down his life. So I want us to appreciate the fact that um, we see here the antagonism regarding all of these different groups of people here. And we can see their impotency to harm him before his hour comes. What this should help us do is appreciate the voluntary nature of his death and the veracity of his statement in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, when he says, I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Jesus is going to minister until such, until such time as it was appointed for him to go to the cross. In verse 33, then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. So no matter their antagonism or hostility, no matter what men might contrive against him, no matter how many times they've tried to take him, he would yet be with them a little while more until his hour was come, and then, and only then, would he go unto him that sent him. It's all written with us to appreciate that he is in complete control of everything that happens to him and every place that he goes. And I want us, in terms of um, how long he's going to be on this earth and minister, I want us to own that because it's a reality that applies to us also, at least in part. In like manner, you and I will serve the Lord until such time as is appointed for the Lord to call us to himself, which he will do by calling us through the grave. Our days are numbered by the Lord, and we shall fulfill them all. In Job chapter 7, verse 1, Job 7, 1, we read, Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Well, the answer is yes. And not are not his days also like unto the days of an hireling? Well, that's yes, true also. We, we have been hired, if I can use that language, it comes out of Job chapter 7 here, to perform a task for a certain period of time. And we will do it all of those days until such time as the Lord calls us home. We shall be neither early nor late to that hour the Lord calls us 
home. He is in control over everything here. So Jesus, we see here again, goes of his own accord when his hour is come to him that sent him. Um, there used to be a, a pastor, he's passed away, he used to say, while mortal, we are immortal until such time as the Lord calls us home, until we have fulfilled the purpose that he has set before us. While mortal, we are immortal. There's nothing that can harm you. You need fear nothing. And we see that example set before us in terms of Job. Satan couldn't touch him. We talked about that last week with respect to fear of man, that we fear only he who can destroy the body and soul and cast them into hell. Nobody can touch us absent God's sovereign power, and we will continue to be here um, until such time as he calls him home. So again, we can appreciate here, we need to appreciate here that Jesus goes of his own accord when his hour has come. In verse 34, Jesus tells them, you shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither, ye cannot come. Well, why can they not come? Because they don't know from whence he is. They know not when, excuse me, they do not know who he is, and they do not know from whence he is. If they don't know from whence he is, they don't know where he is going. And verse 35 affirms that. They don't know where he is going. In verse 35 we read, Then said the Jews amongst themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? No, that's not where he's going. He's going back from whence he came. He shared that with us. He's going back to the Father in glory, and that's a place where no one can go of their own accord. No one can go there of their own accord. So while the context of what the Lord is saying here in John chapter 7 has to do with him going to the cross and being taken up into glory, there is a gospel truth here. There is only one way for any man to get where Jesus is, and that is in Christ. There is only one way for a man to get where Jesus is, and notice he uses the term where I am, present tense, because he's both in heaven and he's both on earth here um, as, well as, as well as now, just as we are. And you read about that in Revelations, how we are kings and priests in Christ. Um, there is the, the only way a person can get to where he is is by being in Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord is going to talk about that. And we'll speak more of it when we get there. But there he says, words we're familiar with, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. So if you can't find Christ, as the Lord says here in verse 34, you're not going to where he is. You must find Christ. And this a man can only do by the grace of God who can reveal both from whence Jesus Christ is and who he is. And with that, I will say, Amen.